Hey, this is Gerds Hundle, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Handel and today I have an interesting guest with me who is empowering women within business. Lisa Pongrass is the founder of Canvas and Hyde, a luxury handbag company in New York, and believes it's never too late to follow your dreams. Lisa, I'm so grateful to have you on the show and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Bless you. Um, I'm just so excited to talk to you today, just our conversation before and just learning more about how you transformed your life. Wow, yes. Um, it's so funny when when things become normalized, it's easy to forget what things were like before. So I forget <laughs> I transformed my life because it's so normal now. But, and I think I'm going to have to transform it again after this um, pandemic. Constantly mm. pivoting, constantly moving. Yeah, there's so much going on right now. And just like we were saying, there's everyone's being asked to come home back to themselves. And I just think, yes, there is so much heaviness, but there's so much light as well in the world. I feel, I feel a little bit guilty that my daughter's home for college, uh, from college, sorry, and I am loving every second of having her with me. We've been making cooking videos together and just enjoying. I'm teaching her how to drive. We're lucky enough that we're allowed to um, drive. But we don't see anybody. We just get in the car, and that's great. There's no no traffic on the road. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, bless. It's a perfect time as well to learn. <laughs> it kind of is. We just go to the car park, and there's just no no cars there. And she's got her license. She just now needs the driving hours in. So that's been fun. Nice. So, Lisa, I'd love to talk about what your life was like before Canvas and Hyde. Okay, so um, I lived in Australia with my husband, my daughter and my, my stepkids. And I had what I guess most people would think is a, a pretty ideal life. I had a beautiful home and um, very, very close family. Um, I was happily married and a young child. We had a boat and lots of cars and life, life was was pretty magical at the time. And then 2008 hit and we um, sadly had investments that, that fell apart. So we had to sell our home and um, change our lifestyle. And I remember saying to my husband after we sold the home, let's, let's try something different. Let's just go away for a year um, and have a sea change, which we did. And we came to the United States. Wow. And so what led, what led you on to creating the brand? So the brand actually was born out of, sadly, um, the dissolution of my marriage. Um, my husband, after many years living in the United States, really wanted to go back to Australia and I wanted our daughter to finish her education in the United States. She'd obviously been, she was eight when we came to America and I just wanted her to finish. I didn't think it was fair to, to move her back. 
So we had a very different idea of where life was going to go. And it was very sad. It's still very sad to this day that, that life took us on different paths. Um, so when he left, I found that I didn't have the legal ability to stay in the country because I was on a spousal visa. Ah. So I really didn't know what to do. Um, and then someone suggested that I start a business and I could be in the country on an E2 investment visa. So actually, originally, I was going to start a candle business. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad I didn't do that. Um, I, went, I went down a few rabbit holes of trying to work out what I was going to do with that. And then I, I can tell you, actually, no one's done it. I wanted to start a, a candle business called Icondal, making iconic candles of things like the Eiffel Tower, the Empire State. I wow. thought, imagine if you go to a city, um, the, uh, what's it called in Rome? Oh, my gosh. The Colosseum, the Colosseum. Yeah. I just thought, I remember the days when you used to travel and bring home a little souvenir of a country. And I just thought it'd be really nice to have a souvenir that was like a sculpture of a particular iconic landmark that was a candle. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, luckily I didn't do that. And my love of handbags took over and Canvas and Hyde was born. I wrote a 56 page business plan, which I'd never done before. Thank you, Google. Um, and came up with just this idea of making beautiful, luxury, sustainable, high quality leather goods in the United States. And um, I took it to Australia, the business plan, and they loved the idea and gave me my initial four years and said, knock yourself out. And I came back and I started it. And the rest, the rest sort of feels like, I don't know, it feels like I was on a path that I didn't even know. I, I didn't actively create it. It was just a path that I was going down. And I can't even put it into words. It was like I was on autopilot and something else was driving it. Mm. I hear you. <laughs> I relate. I absolutely relate. Because I was, as we were talking earlier, I, I was a journalist and I always thought that was it. That was my life. And I was going to follow being a health journalist. And then I hit my mid-20s. And then I just had this massive awakening. It was like... I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> and it was, um, yeah, having a, I was made redundant. And then I had a cancer scare that woke me up. And I remember walking out of the hospital saying, I want to heal. I want to make a difference. And I just led me on this journey that I had no clue about. <laughs> I ended up becoming a life coach and empath leader. And it's like, how? <laughs> but it's, it's so opposite when you say you had a cancer scare that woke you up. I mean, a lot of people get sick and become the opposite they, they sort of yeah. become sad and introverted and they're not awake <laughs> from something like that it's amazing yeah don't get me wrong during the process when I thought I had it oh my god I thought I was gonna die so I was drinking going off the rails <laughs> like screw it life happens whatever and like buy everything I could ever think of and then when they told me they misdiagnosed me I just remember just like crying and saying thank you and and just hearing this voice from within saying, like, it's time to heal. And I, I thought, is it me? Am I going cuckoo? What is this sound? <laughs> and, um, yeah, I feel like with yourself as well, like, we always think we have a plan and we're going to follow that route. But actually, is that really the plan or is there something bigger 
that we're here. I mean, if, if you had told me when I lived in Australia that I would be living in an apartment in Brooklyn, Dumbo, as a single mom with my daughter, um, designing and creating handbags, I would have said, what planet are you from? That's <laughs> so far removed from the life I used to live. And yet it feels so seemingly natural. It just sort of happened. It, I can't even put it into words, but it, something was guiding me into that journey. Mm. And it feels like it wasn't me. I'd, I'd love to take all the credit. I mean, obviously I have to take the credit for it because I did it, but there was like, I'd never run a business. I'd never designed a bag. Um, it just came Something was, was helping me. I almost feel like it's like we were guided to come back home to ourselves and our gifts and our talents that we kind of ignored for so many years. That's so true. Very, very true. And and look, I have to say, I didn't actively ignore anything. I I lived a life that I was really happy in. I didn't know what I was missing out on until I started doing it. And then, of course, now I feel like I'm missing out on that family life that I had before. But um, I feel so much more full of of um, accomplishment and it's just an empowering situation to start your own business and to run your own business and you're completely in control of well actually not in control right now <laughs> COVID-19 has taken control out of everybody's hands and what an amazing experience that is just riding a wave that you you either you either drown or you come out the other side yeah it's From almost like yeah it's almost like we're it's like we're coming back to our childhood you know where we didn't have responsibilities for anything and we just you know one day ran around the room la 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 the next ran in the garden <laughs> I, I wish it felt it doesn't feel like that for me I feel like I, I I understand what you're saying about being free except I still have to pay my rent and yeah. money coming in and I'm, I'm negotiating and you know, the government have said that they will help small businesses, but for, for me, that's yet to present itself. So I'm just hoping and praying that that will happen. So, um, but what you say is so true. Letting go of that fear is, is paramount in being able to survive. Yeah. I think as well, because this society, like from a young age has been, it's almost fear-based. And like when I was in the news industry, everything is fear-based and everything. Oh, like I still always think, why don't they have positive news? <laughs> I've always thought someone should start a news station that just dwells on the positive. Yeah. <laughs> I think someone's done it. I think there is something out there now that's like happy news. <laughs> yeah, I feel like well, loads of podcasts now, that's what they're, they're about, right? They're all about the positive sides. And Sorry, no, I, I said absolutely. We need, we need positive news. And you're right, podcasts offer that to people on a whole different level. Yeah. And I feel like what I was just saying before that, um, there's, there's, we've lived off fear for years, right? Like everything has been fear-based. Our society has been fear-based. And now it's about shifting away from that fear and into the light and into the love. Love. You're absolutely right. And there is so much love in the world. I mean, whenever I feel sorry for myself because my business looks to be struggling right now and I don't know whether retail will ever be the same again which is not a bad thing actually it needs to shift and people's 
people's ideals about things, I think, need to shift as well, which I've been banging on about for two years now. Um, but whenever I feel sad for myself, I think about the people who have nothing, people in India and Africa and uh, the homeless people in New York. And, and then I just don't ever feel sorry for myself again. I, I just feel such empathy for all of those really suffering right now. Yeah. That's, that's just killing me. I do feel a little bit of guilt that I sell luxury handbags. I know that there's a place for everything in the world. Um, and I do know that I've been really banging on about, if you go to my website, I mean, I say buy once and buy well. If you, you know, this whole idea about fast fashion has been something I've been a little upset about for years. And even I, I'm wearing things that I bought when I was 19 that are still fantastic in my wardrobe. And I've been saying that I've brought my daughter up to, to feel that just buy one good thing a year or two good things rather than 20 things from Zara or H&M or Brandy Melville that get thrown in the trash. Yeah, I relate. I hundred percent relate. I just remember like when we were growing up fashion, there was only like four seasons. Now I don't even know what season it is anymore. <laughs> Look, I think from a, from a business perspective, not from an inner light perspective, but I think that is definitely going to change. The internet and shopping online has changed the seasonality of, of indent orders. Mm. So now it's, it's, it's buy now, wear now because of internet-based purchases. People buy something, they want to wear it straight away, whereas department stores have dictated when things go on sale and when things get delivered into store has previously been about manufacturers making with a lot of lead time so that they could go on sale. That's going to change. That's really, that's already changing. Um, I don't know what the future is for, for the big box stores and department stores. I, I really don't know. I know wholesaling is, is very difficult right now. There's mm -hmm. just not enough margin when everyone's going on sale. Yeah. So, I think direct to consumer is the way, but from, from my brand, for example, I think because my items are high on the, on the pricing scale, people don't want to buy an emerging designer that they haven't heard of unless they touch and feel it. When I get people in stores who, who touch my product, feel the quality of the leather, the suede lining, the zip, the, the hardware quality, then they're happy to pay the money because they, they feel yeah. it and they feel it. But online and to just look at a picture, it's so easy to make garbage look good. <laughs> it really is. You were a journalist, you know. Um, and I think people have been burned with merchandise that they thought was nice and then it arrives and it's not. Yeah. So I don't, know, I don't know what the answer is there. I try to, I offer, you know, full refund, money back guarantee and all of that, but. Hard. People buy Gucci or a brand that they trust. Mm. Uh, I guess I just need to be around long enough that people trust Canvas and Hive. Yeah. Well, I think I, re I relate with what you were saying about, you know, just having like one or two bags because like it has the whole fashion industry has a lot of things have become cheapened. And like even like myself years ago, like I'd buy like 10, 11 handbags and they just stay there. Whereas now I have like a few, but they're expensive, but they and last long. Them. Yes. You, you probably love those few that you have. Yes, I do. And they feel so good. And like, yeah, it's a different vibration. I think we can collect so many things, but it is about 
the like you said the one-off pieces that you can use for like 10 20 years I like myself I've got stuff since I was like 17 and I still wear them <laughs> and I love it it's not about you putting something on and thinking oh this old thing it's about you putting something on and thinking this has been with me my whole life and we've had so much fun together and how many journeys have we had yeah. yeah it's like the memory of going to a concert a memory of like meeting somebody oh. wearing that yeah your first boyfriend your first kiss I have a I have a jacket it's um it's Yves Saint Laurent mm. and it was a lot of money back when I was in my 20s I think and I still wear it now and I get complimented on it whenever I wear it and I, <laughs> I feel like yeah I, I got this I I've have something that young people love now that they can't get um, <laughs> that I'm making fashionable and I made it fashionable 20, 30 years ago. I wow. love that. It's, it's a good feeling. Mm. It's the journey. It's the journey. Yeah. It's also the, the fashion industry. I, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but they make up a very large percentage of the earth's waste in landfill. Really? Yes, because think about it, polyester and and fabrics that don't break down and people buy so many things that they throw away in a season or two. Mm. And where do those things end up? They end up in the ground, in landfill. Wow. So what are some of the harmful materials in handbags out there? So there's a big trend at the moment, a push for vegan leather bags um which is pleather pleather is fake leather which is pvc which is plastic so plastic doesn't break down and in fact it doesn't wear so there's a big argument for and against there there, and, and i completely understand both sides one thing about leather is the more you wear it the better it looks it breaks in it It doesn't peel, for example, and it doesn't just break. It gets softer and more worn. And I think think that's a really good look when something is like a pair of leather shoes that that feel lived in. Hmm. Um, PVC doesn't do that, doesn't have those properties. It peels and then it just falls apart. So whilst on one hand I understand you're helping to not use a byproduct of the animal industry or that, you know, getting rid of an animal, um, you're creating more waste and more pollutants by manufacturing plastic. Uh, I think as long as there is a, a thriving meat industry in the United States, my take on it is that using the hide or the skin is actually using the entirety of the animal. Hmm. And I, do understand what vegans say about the fact that, and, and, and I actually have an opinion that it's too big. We do kill too many animals. We, we, there's a lot of waste. Um, and I think we need to look at that, but definitely when I source leathers, I'm looking for uh, the humane um, killing, which there's no other way to put that. Uh, and and there are certain abattoirs that that are better than others, and also good disposing of wastage when you when you make leather, for example, and when they tan a hide, they use chemicals and they have runoff, 
and you need to know that the company that you're buying the leather from are environmentally um, sound and are adhering to the waste that so for example in certain places around the world not mentioning any countries they just run off their chemicals into waterways and wow. don't, don't really care about the environmental impact but i do know that the tanneries that i use in italy they're really conscious of how they dispose of their waste and they win awards for it german and leather manufacturers are very a lot greener than certain asian countries wow i never realized that there was so much waste from the handbag industry i never really questioned it well it's, it's the leather it's you know it's the leather yeah and then of course the colors and the chemicals they used to create different dye lots and different thicknesses and yeah there's so much that goes into it i use there's a leather that i've started using it's called veg tan and uh they it's a really wonderful product and they use they tan that with um a vegetable tanning so it's much more natural and an oil so it also has the qualities that it lasts it just wears really well you can scratch it up and then buff it out it's a beautiful <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot to tell you about leather, but this is more about our inner light. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's fascinating because like a lot of people right now won't have a clue that the the bags that they have, like there's a lot of chemicals in them and that uh, that's why it's so important to be aware as well of what you're we're wearing as well and what we're using on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean there are I'm I'm following closely there are companies that are trying to come up with um, alternatives that, that are not plastic-based or chemical-based. Um, pineapple skin, for example. Oh, wow. Is, yes. They're making um, like a fabric out of pineapple skin that's all natural. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just very expensive. The technology is so new that anything that's new and innovative is going to cost more. So I, I wonder if people will spend more on a bag of pineapple skin than they would on a beautiful leather handbag. Hmm. Don't Who knows? Know. <laughs> <laughs> Cut down on waste. If we're not making, I, I just think we've become a race of, of people who overconsume. Yeah. Do you, I do, I'm a lot older than you are, but I just remember growing up, I had my Sunday best. It's, it's very English, I think. And that was the outfit in my wardrobe. That was oh, yeah. wearing to Sunday school and to church every yeah. Sunday. And it was such a joy on a Sunday to get dressed up in the Sunday best. And, it, you know, I had one nice pair of shoes and one beautiful outfit and not a whole lot. I think, I think we've gone so far the other way. Yeah. You look at these um, people on reality shows and they have, you know, reams and reams of the same shoes and different colours and the same bags and very expensive handbags in all different colours. And that's what our millennials look at that and they aspire to have it. Mm. Really not great. I, I relate with what you're saying because I, even with me growing up, like, like we were saying about the season things, you had like some things for like summer, some things for spring, but you didn't have like excess amount of clothes now i think there's just this obsession to buy like 50 pairs of something of the same color for that season and it's 
you know, you can still buy a few amazing things. Yes, they might be a bit more expensive, but they will last you for decades. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if people will care when this is all over where things are made. Hmm. Yeah. I would so love to know from your listeners if if that is even going to have a bearing on someone's purchasing habits. I feel like we're getting there, but it's going to take a lot more time. I feel like in the last maybe five, six years, people are becoming aware, but it's on a, it's not happened on a global scale. Right. I, I find I, I was perusing the internet the other day as everyone's doing on this lockdown and I wanted to buy something and I went onto their website and I couldn't find where it was made. So I went to every page and wow. read all the fine print and it didn't say any point of origin anywhere. So I emailed them. I said, hi, just wondering, could you please tell me where your products are manufactured? And I never got a response. Oh. So I, I think that's interesting. I'd, I'd love for us to be much more transparent. I mean, it's everybody's individual choice. And if, if your purchasing is dictated by price, then understandably it's going to be made in Asia. Um, but it would be nice to be given the choice to decide because we know where something is actually made. Yeah. Do you know what, as you're saying that, it reminds me of my childhood, like you would buy like a jumper or something or like a t-shirt and it would last you and it wouldn't bubble for like- It wouldn't, no. (laughs) Now you buy something and it bubbles within like a week or two. It's it's bizarre. The quality has completely changed. Probably because when you were a kid, you'd buy something that was cashmere or wool or a wool blend, but it was beautifully made and um, just with a better fabric. Yeah. Now polyester, polyester pills and so does certain, there are different grades of wool, different grades of cashmere. Um, Yeah, I agree. I agree. I hate that. (laughs) I have like some jumpers when I was, I think I was like 15. I've still got somewhere and I tried them on the other day and I was like, this doesn't even have a bubble on it. What's what's that about? (laughs) And it's been locked away for like years. And it's just fascinating that how things, and I, I often hear this from my parents as well. They're like, they don't make things the way they used to. And I'm like, yeah. I know what you mean now. It, it's true. Like it is true. The quality of clothing has changed. In a way, I, I try to want, I try to work out where that came from, and it came from price. Um, when I started this business, my intention was to have everything made in the United States. And at the moment, I'd say I, I manufacture in Italy and in the US. And the moment, I think forty percent of what we make is handmade in the United States. But I realized why so many companies took their manufacturing offshore. It's so expensive. It's Mm. very hard to compete when we have to pay um, $15 and up an hour, which by the way, is not a lot of money Mm. uh, for our staff. So even without the cost of shipping, because it's obviously made here, and so we don't have to import it or duty, it's still cost prohibitive. It's still more expensive. And I found that to be a really interesting lesson in starting this business. I didn't realize, and now I totally get why companies took their businesses offshore for their price. As well, like I think it's 
like when I think about it, like before the quality used to be a lot higher as well because it was in the same country. Now it's, it's you don't know where it's being created or, you know, who's creating it. Whereas sure. here, everything like, you know, the industrial revolution, like not the industrial revolution, but like later on, like you had like, you know, factories and stuff building. Yeah. And it had a different, like people often say to my parents, which I find really, it's really funny. You've probably heard of Marks and Spencer's, right? It's like a... Absolutely. M&S. Yeah. Everyone's known of M&S and M&S were known for their quality of like jumpers. You could get, send them off to India or somewhere and that person would be like complimenting yeah. that jumper for 20 odd years. I remember their underwear. They're, they're, they're um, <laughs> what, singlets. What do you call them? Undergarments. Yeah. Oh yeah. The slips. Yeah. 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 And it, that's what people used to talk about. And now it's, it's so hard to find that same quality. Well, you can now, but it's like, so expensive it's, it's like thousands and thousands <laughs> exactly and the other thing for me about retail marks and spencers and selfridges and harrods and all of those great stores but all of the retailers for me seem to be carrying the same merchandise and it's certainly globally i was traveling obviously to italy to my factory there but then to australia and then stopping off in singapore or hong kong and and I would notice in every airport and every department store, they would carry the same Balenciaga, Celine, Chanel, Gucci, Fendi, mm -hmm. the same thing. So I, as a handbag manufacturer, I would think, well, if I'm sick of seeing this Celine bag or Chanel style in every store, in every city on the planet, are the consumers? And mm -hmm. I wonder about that because... It used to be years ago that you would fly to New York or London from Australia or fly to Australia from London and find something that nobody else had. True. And you take it back to your city and then people say, oh, love your bag, love your coat, love your shoes. <laughs> oh, yes. I got them in London or I got them in New York. or I got yeah. them. Whereas now because of the internet and department stores carrying the same merchandise, everyone can have the same thing. And for me, that takes a little bit of the fun out of fashion. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like you can go to anywhere in the country, like or even in the world, and it's the same brand doing the same thing in the same place. And yeah, it's yeah, I know what you mean. Like we'd go to like a different city, and you'd pick up something amazing, and it'd be like, wow. I have to say, India, you probably can still pick up something. I've <laughs> true. I bought India years ago that are nowhere, and I love them. <laughs> and just beautiful pieces of jewelry, and yeah, that's beautiful. And Morocco beautiful things in Morocco mm -hmm. but I think that's why people are going online because they're looking for something different they're looking they can't see it in the shop so they're trying to find it online to see something that yeah with them yeah that's right except that for businesses and small businesses I know so many of my contemporaries and, and people who have either apparel brands or um, handbag lines you can have the best best product in the world and you get lost in the sea of products online <laughs> you know it's very hard to get traffic to your site if people don't know about you and it's very hard to get recognition and to get someone to know about you unless you spend a ton of money in advertising so yeah. that's also got its own challenges i guess yeah, I think it's just the way things have like has changed in society as a whole as well. Like just as we were saying before, like there's been everything so quick now. Mm -hmm. It's it's 
like you said, it's not the same, is it? Where you like before you could touch the handbag and you could, oh, you're right. <laughs> Everything is. Whenever I say to my daughter, like we, we, we recently just bought, it's quite cold out in the Hamptons right now. And we recently just bought a little heater. So we went to, I think we went to Kmart or Target. Anyway, one of those big stores and we bought a heater and it wasn't, it was $80 or something. Honestly, we pulled it out of the box and can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, go for it. It was the biggest piece of shit. (laughs) It's plastic and it just, it smelled like some piece of crap. And of course it was $80. It wasn't $480. (laughs) Um, But I just was surprised by how bad it was. It was like a Barbie heater. I felt like we were buying a toy, you know? And then it, it just, I shook my head. And again, it didn't say country of origin. I, I didn't look on the piece, but I looked on the box and it didn't say where it was made. But it just, it was, but it did the, it did the job. And for a lot of people, $80 is a lot of money to spend on a little heater. Mm. So I'm not quite sure what the answer is. I wish I had, I wish I had more of an answer. Do you know what, it actually, have you, you've heard of Selfridges, right? Yes, I have. You reminded me there was a show created, God, it must have been about five, six years ago, and it was how Mr. Selfridge actually created Selfridges. So he was an American that moved to the UK, um, and he would bring different things from all over the world into that shop, so you would always have a unique piece, and that's what made them so successful, was having those unique pieces. But now, everything is the same. There's no... It's that uniqueness where like you would go to the market or something and you'd always find something unique, but like anywhere where you go now, it's all the same. But in those days it was having that unique. Yeah. I know what you mean. Well, I think think that's, you know, that's quite recent that I I remember, you know, sadly Barney's have have gone by the wayside in New York and it's just tragic. But I remember 25 years ago, Barney's had a selection of, of really cool, edgy, modern designers that Bergdorf Goodman didn't have. So there was an exclusivity to their stock, which made people from New York go there. The same with Bergdorf's. Bergdorf's were always sort of that little more sophisticated buyer. And they had beautiful things from around the world that weren't anywhere else in New York. And now... I don't know. I think companies to, to sustain themselves, they had to supply everybody. Yeah. Things which, yeah, I definitely have noticed that. And I do remember God, probably 10 years ago um, when I used to work for one, one news channel um, in the Midlands and there was this beautiful like area of like cute shops that sold the most unique things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all disappeared when the massive um, mall was created. And I remember thinking, but those were the best shops to get your favorite things. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, and that's what I loved. was that unique handbag or that unique thing that you said, like, and I feel like it's coming back, but it is online and it, it's, it, it's a different feeling when you can just see it in front of you and say like, that's the one that I want it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though, as a, as a collective movement of, of beings, young people, it's so funny because when I was young, I wanted to be different to everybody else. <laughs> I really did. With my, and, and the way I could sort of communicate that was through fashion. Mm. So 
I remember my look was silk back in the 80s. I would wear a men's silk blouse, a long, like it was a shirt, but for me it was a blouse with baggy silk pants from Bali or something. And and almost brogues. That was my look in the 80s with, don't ask me about my hair. Anyway, <laughs> really bad hair. And frosted pink lipstick. But that was my look. And it wasn't very body flattering. I remember people used to say, why don't you show off your body more? But that was, it was sort of like that relaxed pajama look, but with brogues. That was my whole 80s look. No one else wore that. I was unique as the person who dressed like a sort of a boy, but in silk. Um, Nowadays, I think everyone is trying very hard to conform and look the same. Yeah. And I, I question that. Why? I don't know. Why do people want to dress in the same designers and the same things? Hmm. That is true. I, I remember like there was a phase like when I was really young where it was about being different and then suddenly it was about conforming. Yes. And if you looked different, then it was like, oh, you're not part of our group. <laughs> It was, yeah. You think that's still happening now? Obviously, it is. <sighs> I feel like people are being more unique now, but it's in groups. I don't maybe it's more about the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More about that permanent inking on the skin mm. than, yeah. than a jumpsuit in bright fuchsia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting conversation. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, what has been like the biggest learning curve within your business about yourself? About myself or Mm. about the business? About About yourself through the business. So what have you learned about yourself by building business? Wow. Um, I've learned that I'm more adaptable than I thought. I I probably thought I was a bit more rigid and certainly at my age, I I thought I was quite rigid. I'm actually not. I'm able to pivot and change my ideas. They're not as set in stone as as I I thought they were at one point, Um, which has been a a good realization about myself. yeah, I'm more adaptable and um, I always knew I was a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> That's been a, a, a positive and a negative in my life because I always envied people that had this wonderful talent, one thing that they were excellent at because I'm good at everything and excellent at nothing. Um, but now I've learned to embrace that. That's become something that I feel empowered by because when you run your own business, you do have to wear a lot of hats and you are the designer and the salesperson and the social media operator. And there are so many things that you have to do to make it get off the ground. Um, I realize that that's, that's an advantage rather than to my detriment. But I feel like, because I was the same before, I feel like, that's because we were trying to force something before that didn't yes. feel right. Whereas when you have that business that you love, it's just, it's just an obstacle to like overcome. That's very true. Very true. And when you start something you're passionate about, the passion makes it not a job. Yeah. What are your five top tips for somebody who wants to start a business, but they really don't know 
where to start? So this is a, a great question and it's one that a lot of people ask. One of the things that I always say is research. Take your time and absolutely look into every avenue of whatever business it is that you want to start. Talk to people, reach out to as many people as you can. People you don't even know, but it's easy to, six degrees of separation, it's very easy to find people in that field. And most people, small business owners and operators, are pretty happy to talk to you about what it's going to take. So certainly financially, how much money you need to start a business. I mean, are you starting a bag business like mine that needs working capital to, to get it off the ground? Or are you starting a consulting business as an interior decorator? You don't need as much working capital, but you need contacts. So, you know, all of these things, just talk to as many people as you can and research what you need to do. Mm, nice. Mm. I did that. I did that for a year. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I didn't take all the advice that I got from people. Some people gave me advice that I took and other people gave me advice that I sort of put away in a little compartment and revisited. <laughs> uh, yeah. And believe in yourself. Believe if you really have a burning passion to do something, then don't let anyone, anyone give you any negative mm. um, negativity about your project just be focused and know that that's exactly what you want to do nice and what what are you most grateful for my daughter oh <laughs> so my daughter in my life but i'm most grateful in my business for the wonderful women that i have met along the way and I say that because most of the stores that I'm in are run or owned by women. And mm. when you're a new designer and you're trying to get into a store, that's probably one of the biggest challenges. The people who run and own these stores are bombarded with new designers. So it's all about the relationship that you develop with whoever is buying for the store. And I have met some of my closest friends now um, through the stores. In fact, the home that I'm staying in in the Hamptons is owned by a woman who has a store in Southampton called Michelle Farmer. And she was oh. one of the women to ever take my bags into her store. And we're friends to this day. We're still really great friends. And she's become a great personal friend. Oh, that's nice. That's really, really nice. Women rock. Women are the best. Of course. <laughs> um, I was just going to say that as you're saying that, it makes me think like, yeah, when you do create a business, it is about community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the people that you have working for you, the people who, um, gosh, from, from the manufacturers to the people that you, my, my model for my uh, website, she's just this lovely young girl. My photographer, who's, who's this fabulous guy who's young and gives me a good deal because he's starting out and I'm starting out and, you, you do, you, you, you create a community around you of that business. Mm, yeah. It's the promise that when you make it big, you take them on the journey with you. Yeah. Um, mm. What shines your inner light? I think um, reflection, constantly working on yourself. Um, I don't know whether this is going to sound crazy, but I think your inner light is like the inner workings of your brain 
it's, it's not a muscle, but it's something that you have to, you have to work on. You know, it, it's very easy to get downhearted. It's really easy to be negative. It's really easy to just say, woe is me. You know, look at what's happening in the world and how terrible it is. It's much more difficult to wake up and see the silver linings and look at the positives. But that's the most important thing. So I feel like you can fuel your inner light with the way you use your brain. You can, you can make it shine by having the right attitude. Mm, yeah. It's all about the positive mindset. It really is. Mm. There's, there's, you can choose to be happy or you yeah. can choose to be unhappy. Yeah. Just like both of us, we both had that like aha moments in our yeah. lives where we were like, right, enough is enough. What do we really want to do? What are we here yeah. to do in this world? Yeah. And look, and don't get me wrong. I don't wake up every day going, oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> I wake up every day saying happiness is a choice. Mm. And some days, sometimes I'm, I'm miserable and I'm, I want to be miserable. I'm going to be unhappy. <laughs> and then the, the next day I wake up, don't be silly. Snap out of it, Lisa. Everything is good. This is happening. Mm. Um, so it's a choice. It really is a choice, I think. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa, for being on the show. And thank you for just sharing your story of like how far you've come and create this beautiful brand and just being your true self. Thank you. Pleasure. I've so enjoyed chatting to you. What an interesting episode. I just can't believe like how much waste actually goes into handbags. I never really thought about it. And it's so important about clearing the clutter you know we have so many things but does it spark joy does it make us happy does it make us feel calm and it's so important to just surround yourselves with things that make you feel abundant unfortunately that's the end of the show before i leave i want to leave you with this quote follow your passion it will lead to your purpose that's a quote by oprah winfrey for more information about the show or how to trust your inner light visit my new coaching program at girdshundle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.